Welcome to Ottawa Valley Community Church, where we simply want to help you encounter Jesus, be transformed, and share His love. Um, Hey, we're in this little uh, mini-series looking at what we can learn about prayer. Um, We're in the days of uh, Jesus' story as He's approaching uh, his arrest and the time of the cross. And we're, we're just in the story of the Garden of Gethsemane right now. And uh, I was planning to sort of go more quickly through those stories, but this uh, idea of prayer seems like something uh, from what I feel like I'm sort of hearing from the Lord and, and what I think of when I think of our community and what we need. This idea of learning to engage a little bit more deeply in prayer and learning from uh, Jesus' story in the Garden and what he showed us there seems uh, really critical to us. Uh, last week we talked about you know, having hope for connection, uh, hope that your prayers can actually be more targeted. They're not sort of like vaguely thrown out there and hopefully they land somewhere. Uh, we actually have a heart-to-heart connection with God and he hears us. Uh, we also talked about um, the hope that when we do connect with him, that we're going to actually meet uh, a God who has compassion. He, he actually really cares for you. He actually really loves you. He wants to connect with you uh, heart-to-heart. He wants to, to answer your questions. He wants to be with you. And this week, as we walk through the text, I want us to just see uh, a really practical thing. I want us to see something really practical about prayer, something about uh, intentionality uh, in this moment. Jesus intentionally choosing place, intentionally choosing to pray, intentionally choosing a time to pray, intentionally going somewhere. And I think that just by uh, capturing something of Jesus' intentionality will really help us uh, as humans as we uh, walk through our prayer lives. So let's just read our text again, Matthew 26, uh, 36 to 46, and, uh, and we'll just dig in. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, He went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Then he came to his disciples and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See the hours at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See my betrayers at hand. And we're just going to touch a little bit of this text, and we're going to continue on in it next week as well. Um, You know, prayer is a seemingly spiritual Uh, intangible, kind of ethereal, uh, internal, spontaneous, esoteric exercise. It's something that uh, feels like it's felt. It's something like it feels like it's it's invisible. There's something about it that is uh, not really tangible to us. Uh, But prayer actually is not just spiritual. Uh, We have been given bodies 
and recognizing the need to be intentional about the spaces we pray in and the time sort of that we pray and what's happening in our physical reality around prayer is something that I think can greatly enrich our, our prayer lives. Uh, a way to think of it maybe is to think of uh, a wireless connection. Think of your phone. You know, you can have a conversation face-to-face with somebody, and that's a, that's a great conversation. You all know how to talk for the most part. Uh, you all know how to uh, you know, listen and hear one another for the most part. The words can tend to transmit. But when you're talking on your phone, uh, it, with that wireless connection, it doesn't always just work the way we, we want it to work. If I'm having a call with somebody, uh, you know, I don't uh, have a call in the living room if it's an important call because the dog barks and it's distracting. And so I'll go into my office and I'll, I'll have the call there. I don't wander about my house uh, when I'm talking on my cell phone because we live out in the country and there are dead spots. And if I walk down my stairs, I lose the connection and you're gone and I have to call you back. Uh, that's life in the country. Uh, you know, I, I uh, have this uh, call in the car. And if, unless it's somebody I know fairly well, I, I pull the car over and have that conversation on the side of the road uh, because, well, I don't want to crash and die. Um, and, uh, and I just want to be able to give you uh, my attention for the most part. I have to be fairly comfortable with you before I'm going to go driving uh, the city streets and talking with you on the phone. Um, the reality is that uh, we need to think about those practical things uh, because they impact the quality of our conversations. You can have all kinds of different sort of communication and talk with people, but the quality of those things are important. And what I think uh, we can do by thinking practically a little bit more about how we pray is we can enhance the quality of our relationship with God, enhance the quality of those conversations. And I think that's something we just say as a truth statement at the very beginning of this message. I think God wants you to have a richer, deeper uh, more intimate life of conversation and interaction with him. He, he wants a greater depth. He doesn't want, uh, you know, just, he doesn't want a, a text now and then. He wants to sit down with a cup of coffee. He wants something uh, significant with you. And so there's a question here for us. Are you satisfied with the quality of your prayer life? Are you satisfied with the quality of that interaction? Or, uh, if you're like me, are you sometimes discouraged and sometimes wrestling and just sometimes wishing it was more? How many of you are just going to wish it was more? Right? We just, we just wish it was more, right? That's, that's something about us. I think what this text will show us is that uh, there, the, just the practicality of setting aside time makes it possible. And setting aside space sometimes makes it possible for us to go just a little deeper. And, and human experience really bears that out, right? How many of you have ever said, you know, uh, I'm in a rush this morning, I'll just pray on the way to work? How many of you have done that one, right? How many of you said, I'll just pray while I get through the shower today, I, I, I'll, I'll think about a Bible scripture I know, and uh, I'll just sort of meditate on that. I haven't really got time to do a reading this morning. Anybody done that one? Yeah, one or two of those, right? How many of you said, you know what, I'll just pray without ceasing, because the Bible says we should pray without ceasing. Anybody pulled that card, right? The pray without ceasing card? Yeah, okay, I'm just praying all the time. You know, I think about God. There's stuff going on in the back of my head. I think God can just sort of hear that as prayer. You know, anybody pulled that card? How many of you have ever done the, uh, you know what, uh, I just don't want to fall into religious pattern deal. Anybody done that one? Right? I just want to pray when the Spirit leads me. Right? Anybody done, anybody done that one? Yeah, we care. It's Cures Max. You're good at that one. I've tried that one for a while. How, how's that all worked up for you guys? 
<laughs> that uh, produced a, a great richness and depth in your prayer life? The reality is when I get in my car and think, yeah, I'll just pray on the way to wherever, you know, I've got two or three percent of my, you know, focus there. I have had God interrupt my times in the car and had some good encounters with him there for sure, but uh, the level of connection, right, is is distracted. Uh, maybe I throw the radio on and so all of a sudden I realize I'm listening to the news. Wait a minute, I was supposed to be praying. That's how I'm wired. Maybe I'm the only one, but... Um, the reality is, is that uh, in the scripture, in Jesus' journey to Gethsemane, he shows um, some, some intentionality that it's just in one or two lines in the story, and it's just in some things of the context, but uh, there's something really rich in the way he chose that space and he chose that time. You can see a map on the, on the screen with um, uh, Jesus' journey from the upper room to the garden of Gethsemane. Um, you'll see that the uh, upper room where Jesus was is uh, located sort of in the south and east of Jerusalem, sort of southwest, and the Garden of Gethsemane is up in the north. Uh, when Jesus goes somewhere to do something, it, it is good to think about where he went from. Where, where did he leave to get there? You know, Jesus was in that um, place, in that upper room. What was that place? That was a, a place of prayer, wasn't it? That was a place of intimacy, a place of worship. That was a place with his disciples. If we look back to the upper room, you and I are looking back. Actually, we do this every uh, single month, and some churches do it every single week, as we actually try to recreate that space, that space of intimacy and connection and worship that the disciples had with Jesus in the upper room. Why did he have to leave that place to go and pray? Wouldn't it have been just convenient for him to say, hey guys, that's great. We had a great service here. That's fantastic. Can you guys just clean up the bread and the wine and I'll just stay here in this sacred space and pray for a while. He, he, he didn't do that. There, there's intentionality. There's, there was a significant choice. He walked 2.7 kilometers from that place uh, to the Mount of Olives. Uh, it's about a 23-minute walk. Actually, if you ever want to do it, you can look on YouTube. Somebody has actually done that walk and sped it up. So it's like you see the guy walking really fast, and he's going by all the traffic and cars and everything else. It's a modern time. If you map it out on Google Maps, there's three or four different routes you can take. Uh, we think Jesus sort of went south of the city and out around the city because he wanted to avoid the crowds. That's what most scholars believe. Uh, but the reality is, is he put miles on to do something that theologically should actually work anywhere. Right? Prayer can work anywhere. It's spiritual. It's like our connection with God works anywhere. God is everywhere. But Jesus intentionally put some miles on to get to a place to do this thing. And I just think that's significant for us. It's, it's why we sort of take offerings to, you know, put the lights on in this building. Because there's something about coming to this place, and there's something about coming together. Uh, it's why we take time to, you know, set up the sound system and make sure that you guys can all hear uh, the music. Because there's something about the very, very practical things of being in the presence of God and connecting with him. We're physical people with an embodied being and the practicalities of how we connect with him actually matter. They actually help us. Uh, maybe they speak to our limitations as humans, yes. but they matter. They're our reality. And so this first thing that we see is that Jesus signaled his intention. 
by choosing this location. He signaled an intention to do something more with God, something different with God than what he did in the upper room. He was looking for a mode shift. He had to communicate something different. He had to have a different experience with God. He moved from one place to the other because there was something that was significant that was supposed to happen. And we see some of that from uh, simply the clues of the place where Jesus was. You can see a picture on your screen of uh, the Garden of Gethsemane, and that's the, the place that is in the Holy Land. It is still there. You see those massive massive trees. And, and the picture in the corner there is the church that's on site. That garden that you're seeing is way off to the left. Left, yes. Got to check. Left, right, left. Okay. Um, and and that, so I've been in that church. There's a big rock uh, there with a fence around it. And uh, it, the rock is supposed to be the place where he prayed and where his tears uh, dropped blood on that rock. So, but the reality is, is that he was in a place with trees. He was in a place with a garden. Um, and I think there's something there. I think simply it was a beautiful and a quiet place outside of the city. How many of you have experienced a, a, an easier time connecting with God in the woods than you do with a screen? Right? right? There's something about being in nature. Uh, you've had maybe moments where you've gone on a hike and you've climbed to a height of land and you're looking out over uh, a, a river and a forest or something like that. There's something about uh, being in nature that helps us connect. Maybe that's just a practical thing for us. Maybe that was going on with Jesus. Uh, there's something beautiful in, in the context of the trees and an olive garden uh, like that. The trees just are, can be thousands of years old. When one finally dies, they replace it and put a little tree in its place and let the other trees continue to grow. There are five trees in that garden uh, that are believed to have been alive at the time when Jesus was there praying. Take a core sample of the tree through the living wood and see you know, more than a thousand years of growth rings with a giant uh, rotted hole in the middle. The, the tree itself is, is hollow and they project it. You know, that tree is probably planted somewhere around or before uh, the time when Christ was born. I think of that as a metaphor for us as being people with rich and deep prayer lives, deeply rooted, yet bearing fruit, fresh fruit every season because of that deep-rooted way of being. So we see something about Jesus anchoring himself in that spot and being in that beautiful spot and, and there being something about him realizing he's praying towards the cross, towards the fruit of what he's about to do, but acknowledging that there is a, a deep, deep connection with the story of God and a plan that God put into place the day he spoke creation into being. This is something that's happening now, but something that started a long, long time ago. And there's something really powerful in the symbolism of the place. The word Gethsemane uh, means olive press. Makes sense to have an olive press in a garden. But talk about uh, a, a person who in prayer was pressed. Who in prayer was pressed. Have you ever felt uh, the need to go and pray when you're pressed. Your prayers uh, come out of pressure. Your prayers come out of stress. Your prayers come out of a high awareness of your need. Uh, for Jesus, intense, most intense pressure-filled moments of his life are coming around the corner to him. And he is literally the olive crushed in the press. In Isaiah 53, 5, uh, Isaiah prophesies he will be pierced 
for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. We see Jesus praying in the garden. In the Luke account, it says that he cried out in anguish. He prayed more earnestly and sweat became drops of blood falling to the ground. Literally, the oil of anointing crushed out of his flesh in the pressure of that moment and spilling on the ground. As Jesus prayed on his approach to the cross, he chose a place to fit the pressure. He chose a place to fit the need. And the reality is for us that with our prayer lives and the way we need to seek God is the level of our intentionality should be reflected uh, by the level of the issues we need to bring before the Lord. The bigger the issues require the greater intentionality. I think what we sort of learn about intentionality in prayer is that uh, the more significant that issue it is, the more worthwhile it is to create a space. The more worthwhile it is to go somewhere, to take time, to really pour things out before the Lord. There are times when, you know, our prayers are like small prayers and we've got like a thimble full to pour out. My snowblower is broken. I can't afford to fix it. I can offer that out to the Lord as a prayer as a thimbleful, that's not a big one. I've got a, a health issue. My knee is more sore than usual. That's a thimbleful. I can pray. I can pour that out before the Lord. But very often as people, we don't have thimblefuls. We have whole buckets. We have whole buckets, buckets of grief, buckets of sorrow, buckets of pain. And there are times when 30 seconds on your lunch break, uh, pouring out a teaspoonful at a time here and there, and another two minutes in the car on the way to work, that's not enough to empty out your bucket. And it's very true that very often we go through our lives uh, with heavy, heavy buckets in our hands, trying to empty them with teaspoons when we need sometimes to pour out the bucket, when we need sometimes to pray. 30 seconds at your lunch break just won't cut it. And part of the dynamic for us here is that, you know, we often fear that it's just going to make a mess. We often don't want to uncork that. We don't want to uncork uh, the pain that you've been struggling with. You don't want to uncork the brokenness that you've been wrestling with. Maybe you're wrestling with a, an issue of forgiveness. There's somebody that's hurt you deep in your past, and you're like, I should be able to just forgive them. So I'll, I'll just say prayer, I just forgive them, Lord. But, but there's a, a bucket to be poured out. There's a, a weekend retreat that needs to happen for you. Uh, there's a trip to the cottage. There's a jump in the car to go somewhere, to climb a hill, to go out into the woods. We're worried that if in our time and space and in our, our lives, if we dump it out, it's going to make too big a mess for us to clean up. And so we don't dump out the bucket. But the reality is, is we need to create space. We need to create time and dump out the bucket. Because when we do that, when we take our prayers, we take our griefs, we take our pain, and we pour them out from the Lord, there's, there's always a mix in there, isn't there? Sometimes there's unforgiveness. Sometimes there's uh, pain. Sometimes there's grief. And very often at the bottom of our buckets, we find some sludge. We find some sin. Uh, we find something that we've contributed to our own lives to make them worse than we are. And we're scared to dig to the bottom of that bucket and we just like to take our little spoonfuls off the top. 
And the Lord, I think, says to us that he wants to get to the bottom. There's a beautiful thought in uh, 1 Peter 5, 7. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him. Because he cares for you. He doesn't just care for one or two of your anxieties. He doesn't just care for uh, the parts that you're comfortable with. You can cast all of them out on him. And I think as people, we just walk with so much weight and so much grief because we haven't taken the time to let him take it all, to get to the bottom of the bucket. We keep carrying it and carrying it and carrying it. Now, maybe you're a person who's praying to find a spouse. Uh, maybe you're trying to decide what to do with your life. Maybe you're praying for your children. Maybe you're praying, th- praying through that grief and pain of someone that you love, that you lost. Maybe you have children that are wrestling with sickness and illness, and there's an anger in your heart. God, why did you allow this to happen uh, to my child? Uh, maybe there's uh, uh, anger. Maybe there's been some un- injustice that's happened to you. Maybe you've done some injustice to another, and you need to bottom that out with the Lord. Or maybe it's just cumulative grief over years and years, and you've never taken the time to just pour yourself out and pray. Is there any chance that you're carrying a big bucket and trying to empty it with a teaspoon? Is there any chance you need to find a place to spill it out? Yeah, I did that. That's good. I'm fine. One month, two months passes. Anna's pregnant with our son, Toby. Three, four, five, six months passes. Toby is born. Life is busy. We're church planting. I'm working uh, as a carpenter. We're trying to plant a church and trying to preach and trying to reach people and all of the intensity of, of both work and church planting and all of that stuff going on and a child being born. But somehow underneath all of that, underneath all of that busy, there's a full bucket of grief that is just sort of churning and I'm, I'm pouring out a little piece here and a little piece there. But I'm realizing as time goes on that uh, some of the grief of the loss of my mom and, and some of the things about my relationship with my mom were still there in a really powerful way, driving me and affecting me, uh, anger and frustration and all kinds of things at the core of who I am that 18 months down the road, uh, I realized that a bucket to be poured out. I remember taking time to Say, okay, I've got to take a couple of days. I've got to go up to the cottage, and I'll, I'll just drive up there. And I remember that drive uh, into Quebec, you know, through the city of Ottawa, through the hills, and I can sort of feel this uh, churning of the bucket sort of mounting, and I'm trying to hold it back. 
uh, waiting till I get to the right space and to the right time. And then I finally uh, walk in the door of the cottage. I've hauled some water up from the lake. Uh, I've got a fire lit. And I sat down on the couch. And I tipped out the bucket. Grief, anger, pain, frustration with my mother, tears, yelling, shouting in a safe space where I could do all of that. And at the very bottom of it, all kinds of my pride and all kinds of my rebellion as a son against his mom. At the bottom of that, anger and frustration and hurt and pain. And I could have carried that bucket for years. And there are times when I still surface those things. I still see some of those things about my relationship with my mom that I, that I wrestle with. They're, they're part of me. And I have to go and I have to pour out that bucket again. But I would be walking as a very different person in a very different way if I hadn't found space to take that thing and dump it on the floor and to let the Lord join me in cleaning the sludge out of the bottom of it. It simply could not have happened one teaspoonful at a time. It just doesn't work that way. And so this is a call to us as a church to become intentional about your stuff. There's all kinds of things you can do to see your heart healed and counseling and pastoral care and all of that, but your very first thing has to be to carve out a space in the presence of your Father, a space that's safe, a space that has meaning, a space where you shout and cry and grieve and wrestle and dump out your bucket before the Lord. Apostle Paul knew this in... uh, The book of Philippians, he says this, The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. There's just so much in the language of those uh, different words that he used there. Uh, At surface, it just likes, hey, throw your prayer requests out and it'll be all good. But what Paul gets to here is the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, is what you're looking for to see come. When we dump out our buckets, there is a way that a peace that goes beyond all your processing and all your understanding can enter into your life and transform you and set you free and make you more like him. Worship team, you guys can come ahead up as we finish here. Your Savior is glorious and he's holy and he is mighty, and he is majestic, and he cares, and he loves you. We often think of coming to him uh, in in prayer, coming to him to empty out our bucket, coming to him uh, in a special place, in a special time. We often feel like that is is just neediness. It is just, it's just, selfishness sometime, but what I want you to see is it's actually worship. If Jesus is good and if he is loving and if he is kind, you trusting him 
with the brokenness of your life and you pouring it out before him and trusting in his goodness and lovingness and kindness, uh, that trust is itself worship. That acknowledgement of who he is. There is no better way of acknowledging who he is than by leaning on who he is. And you do that when you tip out your bucket. You do that when you pray. You do that when you carve out space. We glorify Jesus by trusting Jesus. We glorify him in prayer. Let's worship. Let's pray. Thanks for joining us. To connect to the ministries of Ottawa Valley Community Church, visit ovchurch.ca.